Counter 10, Chapter 70 Krishna's Routines, Troubles and Narada Pays Another Visit Sri Shuka said, At the break of dawn, the crowing roosters were cursed by the wives of the sweet lord, who with the arms of their husband around their neck were disturbed over the separation. The birds, awakened from their sleep by the bees in the breeze of the parijata trees, woke up Krishna with their noisy singing like they were the poets at the court. But Vaidarbi, Rukmini, did not like that most auspicious time of the day because she then would have to miss the embrace of her beloved Krishna. Madhava rose during the Brahma Muhurta, touched water and cleared his mind to meditate upon the unequalled, exclusive, self-luminous self beyond all dullness of matter. This true self dispels, infallible as it is, by its own nature perpetually the impurity and gives the joy of existence. It is known as the Brahman that, with its energies, constitutes the cause of the creation and the destruction of this universe. After, according to the Vidi, having bathed in pure water, he, the most truthful one, first dressing in lower and upper garments, performed the entire sequence of the worship at dawn and such, and then, after offering oblations in the fire, quietly controlling his speech, chanted the Vedic mantra. He, faithful to his own nature in worship of the rising sun, propitiated his own expansions. With due respect for the gods, the sages and forefathers, his elders and the ones of learning, he donated day after day many, many good-natured cows with gold on their horns, silver on their hooves and pearl necklaces around their necks, cows that were rich with milk and had given birth to one calf only. Nicely caparisoned, they were presented to the learned Brahmins together with linen, deerskins, sesame seeds and ornaments. Paying his respects to the cows, the men of learning, the godly souls, the elders, the spiritual teachers and to all living beings who were but expansions of himself, he, giving darshan, laid his hand on all persons and auspicious matters. He, the very ornament of society, decorated himself with the clothes, divine garlands, fragrant pastes and jewelry that befitted him. He cared for both the ghee used in the sacrifices and the mirror and attended to the cows, the bulls, the twice-born souls, the gods and the objects of desire. He provided gifts to the satisfaction of all societal classes living in the city and in the palace and welcomed his ministers responding to all their needs in full. After first having distributed garlands, betel nut and sandalwood paste to the learned ones, and then to his friends, his ministers and his wives, he next would take his own share. His driver, who by then had brought his supremely wonderful chariot yoked with the horses Sugriva and so on, stood bowing before him. Holding the hand of the charioteer, he then together with Sachaki and Udava mounted the chariot like he was the sun rising over the mountains in the east. With difficulty, leaving the women behind in the palace who looked at him with shy and loving glances, he departed, displaying a smile that seized their minds. Awaited by all the Vrishnis, he entered the assembly hall named Sudharma, 
that for those who enter, fights the six waves of material life, my dear. The Almighty One, the best of the Yarus seated there, high on his throne, in the midst of the Yarus, who were the lions among men, illuminated all the quarters with his effulgence that shone like the moon in the sky surrounded by the stars. There were jesters, O king, who served the Almighty One with various forms of amusement, professional entertainers like magicians and women who, dancing energetically, were of service. They danced to the sounds of venas, murdangas and muraja drums, flutes, cymbals and conches, while the bards, storytellers and panegyrists sang and offered praise. Some Brahmins, sitting there continually, recited Vedic mantras, while others recounted stories about kings from the past famed for their piety. Some day a person arrived to king who was never seen there before. Announced by the doorkeepers, he was given access to the fortunate one. After his reverence before Krishna, the Supreme Lordship, he with joint palms submitted that a certain number of kings were suffering because they were being held captive by Jarasandha. During a conquest of all the directions by him, those kings had been captured who had not accepted him in complete subservience. They, about twenty thousand of them, were forcibly detained in the fortress of Girivraja. The kings had sent the message, Krishna, O Krishna, O immeasurable soul, O you who takes away the fear of the surrendered souls, we, being so different in mentality, afraid as we are in our material existence, have come to you for shelter. The whole world, delighting in misconduct, is bewildered about the duties out here to be of one's own worship for you according to your command. May there be the obeisances unto you, the ever-vigilant, unblinking eye of time, who all of a sudden, at the time of one's death, cuts off that headstrong hope for longevity in this life. You, the predominating authority of this universe, have descended together with your expansion, Balarama, in order to protect the saintly and to subdue the wicked. We would not know, O Lord, how anyone transgressing your law, like Jarasandha, or anyone else by his own creativity like us, could achieve such a thing. With the burden of this mortal frame carried by us with a constant fear, our happiness is like the conditional happiness of kings, O Lord, that is as ephemeral as a dream. When we reject the happiness of the soul that is obtained by selfless service unto you, we have to suffer the greatest misery with your bewildering material reality of Maya out here. Therefore, O goodness, whose two feet remove the sorrow, please release us, these surrendered souls, from the fetters of karma formed by the king named Magadha. Like the king of the animals capturing sheep, he all by himself, wielding the prowess of a ten thousand mad elephants, has imprisoned us in his palace. Eighteen times facing him, you seventeen times raised your chakra and crushed him. Only once he managed to defeat you in battle, when you, confiding in your unlimited power, were absorbed in human affairs. And now he, filled with pride, torments us, your subjects, O unconquerable one. Please rectify that. The messenger said, Those who are held captive by Jarasandha, 
thus hanker to see you in their surrender to the base of your feet. Please bestow your welfare on these poor souls. Sri Shuka said, After the envoy of the kings thus had spoken, the supreme Rishi Narada appeared, who with his yellowish mass of matted locks had an effulgence like that of the sun. As soon as the Supreme Lord Krishna, the Supreme Controller of the Controllers of all the worlds, saw him, he together with his followers and the members of the assembly, gladdened, stood up, and bowing his head, proved his respects. After the Muni had accepted a seat, he pleased him with worship according to the rules, and spoke next, the truthful, pleasing words. It is a fact that the three worlds today are completely freed from all fear, well, that is the quality of you, the great and fortunate soul traveling the worlds. Within the three worlds created by the Lord, there is nothing you do not know. Let us therefore hear from you what the plans of the Pandavas are. Sri Narada said, I often witnessed the different appearances of your inscrutable Maya, O Almighty One, O Bewilderer of even the Creator of the Universe. It does not amaze me, O All-Encompassing One, that you, being covered by your own energies, are moving among the created beings like a fire with its light covered. Who is able to properly understand the purpose of you, who by your material energy creates and withdraws this universe that for its beings is manifested to exist in relation to you, to experience the essence. My obeisances for you, whose nature is inconceivable. For the individual soul in samsara, who knows no liberation from the trouble that the material body brings, he lights his torch of fame through the pastimes of his avatars. You, that lord, I approach for shelter. I will nonetheless tell you, O highest truth who imitates the human ways, what your devotee, the king Yudhishthira, the son of your father's sister, intends to do. The king, the son of Pandu, desires the sovereignty and wants to perform for your sake the greatest sacrifice that is called a Rajasuya. Can you please give your blessings to this? O Lord, that best of all sacrifices will be attended by all the enlightened and likewise souls eager to see you, as also by all the kings of victory and glory. When the dregs of society find purification from just hearing about, chanting and meditating on you, the full manifestation of the Absolute, what may then be expected in case of those who factually may see and touch you? The spotless reputation of you that is expanding in all directions is proclaimed in heaven, in the lower regions and on earth, O bringer of good fortune to all the worlds. In the form of the water washing from your feet that purifies the entire universe, that grace is called the river Mandakini in the divine spheres, the Bhogavati in the lower worlds and the Ganges here on earth. Sri Shuka said, When his supporters, the Yadus, did not agree with this proposition for a Rajasuya because they desired the defeat of Jarasandha, Keshava, with a smile and a charming use of words, addressed his servant Udava. The fortunate one said, You, as the apple of our eye and our well-wishing friend, 
from that position know perfectly well what expression would be of use in this regard. Please tell us what should be done. We have full faith in you and will do what you say. With that request from his maintainer, who acted as if he, the all-knowing one, was puzzled, Udava, humbly accepting the order on his head, gave a reply.